When did you last talk to an undesirable? Chapter 15 begins with that telling phrase that Jesus was talking with tax collectors and sinners. The undesirable age. I'm trying to work out who's the equivalent of a, a tax collector of that time today. And I can't really get my head on someone to be so loathed and despised that they're a, set, a group, in a sense, to whom the rest of the sinners are added. But we've got to remember that this parable that flows with the power of the lost sheep and the lost coin come from this context of Jesus talking to people who really he shouldn't have been talking to. And the Pharisees listening in and becoming irritated by the fact Jesus was doing something that they thought he shouldn't be. Here is this man in the story who abandons his homeland, goes off with his father's money, which the revised English Bible talks about dissolute living. Some versions talk about wild living. And he ends up working with pigs. And we have to gain the sense of how annoyed the Pharisees would be at this younger son because of what he had done. And you can almost imagine them boiling up with indignation because of what has happened. And then Jesus turns the screw in a way and makes them see things in a different light. As a story becomes something that they're not expecting, which why in a way, it's a parable, a story with a hidden meaning. As this crowd who were listening were invited to consider these words and try and work out what they meant. One of the marks of a good novel, of a great novel, is the fact that the authors unravel the characters before your eyes. I'm reading a book at present by a man called C.J. Sanson, who's most of us are writing stories about a, a lawyer in Tudor England who solves mysteries. But the book I'm reading now is called Dominion, and it's set in a, in a Britain after the Second World War as if the Germans had won. And he's introduced the main character who has a dark secret that in a sense will unravel, but he's also introduced this sort of anti-hero, a Gestapo officer. And he's painted a picture of what he's like, but now he's revealed in the conversation this guy had with a, a fascist inspector of police that this Gestapo officer is now feeling old and tired and in a sense is enticing you to try and work out What's going to happen as this story evolves with this man with his deep secret and this German officer who perhaps is no longer as fully giving his attention to his role as he might have done in days past? It's not dissimilar to this parable, where in a way, I suppose, we need to contrast what the audience may have first thought about these various characters with the picture that Jesus presents and the questions that he poses. So just think of that eldest son. And you can imagine the Pharisees sitting and thinking, here is a man who deserves some sympathy. He's doing all the right things and he's not getting any of the credit. 
But actually, as you think about it, you discover the eldest son, in a sense, is quite odious. He's quite unpleasant. It almost feels like he's some sort of Dickensian villa, a Uriah Heap-type character who is looking on what's going on and disapproving. There is no shred of delight that his brother's returned, that his father has discovered a joy that he'd lost. This man is too consumed with himself, and even if his father gave him a, a goat with which to party, the likelihood is that that celebration would become a gathering of the miserables. He doesn't come across well when you sit and think about the story as it's laid out. Contrast that with his brother, who to begin with, you can sense the audience thinking, this guy is going to get it wrong. He's arrogant, he's greedy, he is foolish in the extreme, and you can almost imagine him delighting in him in a sense, getting what he deserved, even though that picture might have been quite uncomfortable for them. But then there is the thing that perhaps would have surprised and maybe astonished. Because when this guy hits rock bottom, when he finds himself there amongst the peas, the, the pigs longing for the food that they're eating, after a while, not immediately, after a while, he begins to come to his senses. And there is the glimmer of hope. It's almost, in a way, the incarnation, those words from the psalm that Ron read, where the psalmist paints his body being wasted away, being sapped by the heat of summer. This is the picture of what the youngest son has become, and he realises, for the first time, I suppose, how fortunate he has been. And then he goes back home and he has the humility to recognise he's not going for food, he's not going for status, he's not going for anything other than a sense to say to his father, I got this wrong, I'm happy to be the lowest of the low, I am content to be as your servants, I expect no special treatment because I have messed up. He is transformed and he is willing to recognise where he's gone wrong and begin to live with the consequences of that. And then there is the father who initially you might sense is quite weak because he caves in and welcomes this wild living son back into his household with the finest robes and a, a party and a ring. It would have been so easy for him to turn on his son, to give him nothing, to ignore him, to send him back into exile far, far away. But instead... He reaches out in love and gives the son something that he doesn't come close to deserving. The party 
in spite of the eldest son's absence, the party was a real celebration because the father felt whole once more and the son would have been overcome with this unexpected gift of love that he had received. And now I suppose we need to try and work out what it means to uncover its meaning. It reminds me of the, the playgroup cafe morning um, a couple of Saturday days. When I, when I was sat talking to little Katie here, or she, really she was talking to me, gurgling away as she was, is at present, there was a great sense of intensity in what she was saying. There was a great smile on her face. But it was totally incomprehensible. I have no idea what she was talking about. It's all part of a master plan, you really. No sense of what she was talking about. But actually, you could see in her little face what it was had huge significance. And when she's older and speaks the same language as me, I might try and work out what it meant. But it was a wonderful conversation. I don't know whether she could understand me, but I certainly couldn't understand her. But you gain this great sense. So we've got to try and unlock the meaning of the parable in the way I tried to unlock what Katie was saying. And I see it like this. The eldest son... I think pictures the worst of the Pharisees. This group of men, because they would have been men, who way of faith had become so obsessive that they became unpleasant. They were looking down their nose at the neighbours. They were complaining about those who were not like them. They saw themselves in a way as being the spiritual elite in their community and everyone else was less than them. They were quite happy in a way to reject people and push them away, very reluctant to pull people in unless they satisfied an extensive list of criteria to allow them to become part of this Pharisaic community. And you see as you read the gospel that Jesus often comes into conflict with them because they are unflinching, unmoving. They are set in their minds and they're not willing to consider any other alternatives. The eldest son is there, I think, depicting the dangers of when people become excessively religious. The second son, the wild living son, is a picture, if you like, of the wider community of the Jews. This people, in a way, who were being put off by the rigorous way of the religious elite and who, in a way, were trying to work out where God fitted into their pictures. And here we have, in a sense, a picture of those who, in spite of the religious police, if you like, recognise the reality of God and return, come back with humility because they acknowledge where they have gone wrong and they are seeking something. It must be a right view because Kate is agreeing with me. They're seeking something and they're not expecting much in return. 
They don't want positions of power and importance. In a way, they enshrine something of the joy of which the psalmist wrote in response to the news of forgiveness that he heard. The return is one of the wow moments of the New Testament as the son is welcomed back. And I suppose within the context of those who'd flooded to John the Baptist to be baptised, we see something similar. A people returning, and this is Jesus recognising the good news of those who are coming back to God, recognising their sins, and rather than enshrining the arrogant pomposity of the Pharisees, were coming with humility back into the fold of God. Who is, of course, the father in the story. Who is conscious of these two parts of his family. The one who'd stayed at home and in a sense should have known better and couldn't see where he got it wrong. And the one who'd run away had got it totally wrong but then had the audacity to return. Not sure if he'll be welcomed, but recognising that there was the place that he now knew he wanted to be, even though his life might be fundamentally different. And then we need to ask what this means for us. And that requires us to think about the Mr. Men, following on the literary thread. Because we don't want to be like Mr. Grumpy, which is the eldest son. Great things are happening, and he's not in the slightest interested because it's different to how he wants it to be. It reminds us, as a church community and as Christians, that we are on show and that we need to respond to those who come into our midst. In a sense, whoever comes needs to be welcomed in the way that the lost son was here in this parable. That we don't look down our noses at people. We don't have a self-righteous air, but that we're ready to show love in the hope that rather than being Mr. Grumpy we can be a little more like Mr. Happy there isn't a Mr. Joyful so Mr. Happy will have to do in the sense of the way that we respond to those who come to the good news of grace to remind ourselves of what we are all about and the difference that Jesus makes the Jesus who calls us to return to him and live his life. In the hope, if my memory serves me right, we can be like Mr. Tickle. It almost sort of raises a safeguard question in my head, but Mr. Tickle's arms extended and people who weren't expecting him got tickled. That's right. And it, and it brought that sense of joy and of delight into their lives. We need to reach out and seek to touch those who sit beyond our doors, 
who don't come because they think they are not good enough. They may have been divorced. Their family may not be the best behaved. They may think themselves unworthy. They may have questions and doubts. They have some sense of faith, but the danger is that they see us as being different to them. And as we journey towards Easter, we need to remind ourselves that here is our great opportunity to invite people to come and hear the Easter message, to invite them to come and see that the church is not what they expect. That we're not like the Pharisees of old, looking down our noses at people. We, in a sense, are just like those who are beyond our doors and who struggle to come in. We're not perfect. We are in need of love and we hopefully come with that humility that the younger son enshrined knowing that we are not the best that we could be. In a sense we need to try and remind people that this is a relaxed place, an open place where we come as we are knowing that God will meet us in our need, be with us in our joys, share our tears as we come with the bruises and the delights that the world inflicts upon us. It's one of the great parables that Jesus tells. And its great message to us is that the church is the physical sign of the Jesus who invites people back. Who encourages them to come from wherever they have been and meet him. It's our encouragement to invite others to discover what we have and to speak with humility of what Christ has done in our lives in the hope that we can share some of the joy that that father experienced as his son returned from the dead and the celebrations ensued and not be like the eldest son who was too caught up in his own sense of worthiness and whatever else that he couldn't see the miracle that was unfolding before him. The parables are all about interpretation, making sense, gaining an understanding. This little bundle of humanity here, in a sense, is oblivious to all of us. She is doing her own thing, happily content. Our hope is as she grows older and comes to understand she will see something of love and hope and possibility in us reflecting the love, hope and possibility that Jesus has engendered. The challenge for us as we approach Easter, as we come to our big celebration in the year, is to invite the lost to come and hear. 
reminding ourselves that the invitation is the key thing, not any success, in the hope that people will return and become like that lost son, recognize what they are missing, and in Jesus, discover the wideness of God's mercy. Amen.